This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to another top 10 list. This is actually going to be a top 20 list though. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did my top 10 solo games video. And serendipitously in a way, I published that I think in February or early March of 2020, right as COVID was hitting. And that video did really exceptionally well for me in terms of the views. I think because of the pandemic, really unfortunately. Um, and I got a lot of good feedback on that video actually. So if you, I'll put a link to the video. My mindset at that time when I made that top 10 list of solo games was as a person that did not play solo games very much at the time. Uh, somebody that would play it now and then, but mostly spent time going to a game group and playing games with them and so on. And then also had to some other games in my collection that could be played solo. And that those were kind of the top 10, kind of through that lens in that case. Well, needless to say, over the last two years, I've had a lot more opportunities to play solo games. And I've actually kind of gone back and reinvestigated some other games that I had at one point been out of the collection and I brought them back in and played some more of those. And so this video, I wanted to come back, I've been thinking about this for several months now, I wanted to kind of come back and reinvestigate that top you know, X number of solo games uh, with that sort of new mindset of somebody that has been playing a lot of solo games over the last two years. Uh, so this is what we're gonna look at. Now, I tried to get it to a top 10 impossible, really, because I really wanted to include the next five. So it's kind of a top 15, but then there's five more after that that are Really, really fun solo, but I really would rather play them uh, with other people. And so that the first five are gonna be basically that. I really like them solo, they're fine, they're really good solo, but if you had to you know, hold me to it, 100% of the time I would not play them solo, I would play them with other people. And these are also ranked in terms of the perception of solo. So these are not like you know the top 20 games in my collection or anything like that. I'll do that later in the year. But these are from the, you know, the gaze of a solo player. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Like I said, I'll have a link to the old video as well. There'll be some repeats, but you know, we'll see here. So the number 20 is Great Western Trail. And this is now the second edition of the game, which included some solo rules. Again, this is not one that I would really prefer to play solo but the solo bot in this game is so dead simple. It cheats really hard. It can be very difficult to beat, depending on how things kind of shake out. But the way that it kind of chooses a strategy and a path to get its points is really neat, and it kind of sort of develops over time to you know pick and choose one of the three or four different strategies that are in the game. Really enjoyable. If I want like a quick Great Western Trail fix and it's not gotten to the table with the group and it still does get to the table pretty regularly with the group, the group leader likes it. But if I really need that fix, I definitely would be down and play it solo. But again, much better with two, three, four players. So that's number 20, Great Western Trail, great game. Uh, number 19 is Alter Quest. Uh, again, same deal with Great Western Trail. I really do like it solo. It's fun to play as one hero because you get like the little companions, the allies that go through the game. So it kind of helps you feel like you're more part of a, a big group, a big fight. Uh, but it is, I think, better with other players. I've actually played through this campaign uh, twice, uh, once solo and once with three players. 
And it's just a lot more interesting and entertaining entertaining because you have a lot of that discussion about what should we do? You know, you should go first and activate this and kind of set your abilities all together and try to figure out the right kind of combo to beat the scenario. But it is really just a ton of fun solo. It's a little difficult to juggle, you know, two or even three characters at once, which you can do with some other games on this list. Uh, it, I, if I'm going to play it solo, I really do prefer to play it with the solid solo character. I could see trying to play it with two characters, but that's just kind of a lot of sort of physical juggling of the cards and stuff like that. So that's number 19, Alter Quest. Number 18, Bloodborne, the board game. This is again a little bit higher because I, I will play this one solo. I do like this one solo, but similar to Alter Quest, where when you play with other players, just that whole kind of, you know, cooperative mind and the discussion of the strategy and everything, that really starts to come to fruition when you have more players at the table. It's a lot more fun and you're kind of working out that puzzle. Uh, but it's really fun solo. I will play this solo anytime and really an enjoyable game. It kind of flew under the radar, Bloodborne, the board game. Uh, maybe because it's related to a video game IP. It's really brutal. It's sort of unfair in a lot of ways. But if you can kind of get over that, it's really fun. It's very challenging and it's really rewarding when on the occasions that you do beat it. That's number 18, Bloodborne, the board game. Number 17 is the newest version of Descent, uh, Legends of the Dark. I played through the campaign of this, mostly solo, played some games with some friends. I really like this solo. I was able to sit with it and sit with the story, take my time kind of going through the app. Uh, you know, on the iPad, I would not recommend using the iPhone with this uh, because you kind of need the big screen. But it's really kind of a cool storytelling uh, situation. There's a lot of good tactical choices. You can juggle a couple of characters. It's very easy to sort of uh, have characters step in and out, and you kind of take turns, kind of uh, kind of going into the role or the perspective of various different characters and kind of playing through their story arcs. That's a really cool dynamic there. But in terms of like the tactics, the mechanics, the gameplay, again with the, some of the others that I've already talked about. Uh, I like that discussion at the table. It kind of pushes it over the top. But again, we're kind of working our way up from number 20. So I'm starting to like these more and more solo, even though I still prefer them with other players. So that would be number 17, Descent Legends of the Dark. Number 16 is Return to Dark Tower. Really enjoy this one solo, but if you had to put me to it, I really like it with other players. Again, for all the reasons I've just talked about with the tactics and everything. Uh, this one though, I will break out solo. I played a solo a bunch. And it's really cool. Um, I will say with this one, I like to juggle characters a little bit more, but that does, it taxes my brain a little bit. Sometimes games like that, you can, you can juggle multiple characters. It's not too bad. Uh, but something with this one, and I like to play this one with the expansion, the Allies expansion, which kind of has a little bit of cognitive load going on. Um, but I would recommend this one solo to the point where if you were just going to play it mostly solo, I would still recommend it because you can scale it up. You know, you can you can play, start playing with one character and then two and then I don't know. You could probably try to juggle four by yourself, but you'd be you'd need like a lazy Susan for the board to spin it around and stuff. Um, that would be tricky solo. Uh, but again, I prefer this. You know, with more players, it's just a lot more fun. Okay, so that's number sixteen, Return to Dark Tower. So now we're going to kind of cross a threshold here with the number fifteen, and these are ones that. I don't know that I would always prefer 100% these to play solo, but no question, I'm more than happy to play them solo, and I wouldn't really say 
playing them with other players would surpass for me playing them solo. They'd be like equal with a lot of these. So we're going to go right up the list here. Number 15 is Mini Rogue, which is a game I reviewed last year. This is kind of a weird little card game that's like a pseudo dungeon crawl. Uh, it's like a roguelike, you know, the name of the game, Mini Rogue is a roguelike. Plays very quick, like 20 minutes or so. It can be pretty brutal, kind of depending on the configuration that you set up. But once you kind of figure out, I talked about it in my review, sort of the scaling difficulty and how it works and which characters are easier against which, you know, boss villains and stuff like that, then you can kind of crank into it and kind of get a little bit of some of the strategy and tactics uh, that are there. But it's it's a light game. It's just for a fun, quick knockout game. Uh, but I would definitely recommend Mini Rogue. It's a good kind of on-the-go, sort of, you know, just a quick half-hour knock a game out or a couple of games out in an hour. A really fun, really unique art style. Uh, just a lot of fun. Now, that's number 15, Mini Rogue. Uh, number 14 is Nuclear Winter 68. Now, this is a older chit pull war game this was on the previous list that i mentioned uh this one stays on the list i've had a lot of fun replaying this a little bit solo uh, over the last year uh, usually you're playing it with three different sort of factions it's sort of a uh, alternate universe uh post world war ii thing where you've got the allied side the nazis and like some weird nazi zombie creature offshoot thing so it's this crazy thing and so, but it's chit pull. So when you activate, you know, one of the different factions and one of the different units, you pull it out. So you don't know what the turn order is going to be. So it's very easy to play solo. And you're really playing it for more of the story than the competitive aspect. So, you know, you pull the allied chit and you go, oh, what would the best thing that the allied player would do? Okay, well, we'll do that. And then pull again. Oh, the allied player goes again or the Nazis go or whatever. And it's really fun. There's a lot of, there's a nice, good, like thematic uh, campaign with some stories, especially with the expansion. There's kind of another sort of story that you can play through and you kind of track who wins and loses. And you can kind of tell yourself a little bit of a narrative. And with a lot of these solo games, that can be one of the most rewarding parts of it. Uh, you kind of have the competitive angle versus the narrative angle, which is true of just about any game anyway. Uh, but that's number 14, Nuclear Winter 68. It can be tricky to find. I have seen it out there. Um, but I would recommend picking it up if you're kind of interested in kind of that chit counter war game um, but it's not too complicated it's not like a crazy beefy one and it's got that really weird theme so it's kind of like a sci-fi fallout kind of thing going on it can be a nice sort of intro to that style of game that's number 14 nuclear winter 68 uh, number 13 is agricola this is one that i've kind of brought back i have the revised edition now and i kind of moved it along because honestly i prefer caverna over Agricola, and I still do, if you had to ask me which one I'd rather play. The cards I miss from Agricola in Caverna, but Caverna just has so much other, like, just ways to explore things. You can just kind of explore all these different buildings. Now, Caverna Solo, I don't really care for at all. <laughs> now, I've not played it with the Solo with the expansion for Caverna, so that may change it. But to me, with Agricola Solo, it's really, really fun if... You get a couple of those extra card decks for the different occupations and uh, the different like uh, buildings and craft things that you can you can build the uh, oh, whatever I forget, I'm having a brain fart the fireplaces and all the stuff the improvements. <laughs> uh, if you get a couple extra decks, so if you just have the base game, you're gonna wear those decks out really quick playing them solo. I think uh, because you will start to see and figure out the puzzle of the worker placement part of this. Um, in the order of kind of how the resources get generated, like that's pretty easy to parse out. But if you kind of look at it as playing through the campaign part of it, it's pretty neat. 
Um, but if you don't have like a good, a lot of card variety, that's going to kind of wear itself out. But having some of those extra decks of cards, that gives you kind of this extra variable puzzle that you can kind of revisit the game with because the cards are going to kind of, you know, come at you differently from play to play. And then with the campaign, you can like keep cards if you win the game. If you hit like a certain threshold of points, then, you know, you can go into the next game, you can keep one of those cards and then you go to the next. I think you have to win like eight games in a row and then your point target gets higher and higher because obviously you're starting the game. Uh, with some special abilities and in a way that's kind of like the ai in this case acting against you there's not really any competitive player you're just doing work placement by yourself but the hand of cards that you're dealt the two hands of cards i should say that you're dealt at the beginning is sort of like your challenge right trying to use that hand of cards together in such a way that you can hit the 50 point and then all the way up to like 60 or whatever it is uh, for, the, for the final couple of games so that's Agricola number 13. Again, I recommend that, but only with the extra cards. Uh, the number 12 is Mage Knight, which a lot of people, rightly, I think, usually have at number one or number two of their solo list. This one's a little bit of a cognitive weight for me. Um, anytime I bring it out, it's like a half an hour of like, how does this work? Because <laughs> I haven't played it, you know, in like a couple of months or something. And then, you know, I may usually play it like one, two or three times in the space of a couple of days. And, you know, I put it away and then move on. Um, so that sort of barrier of like refiguring out the game is tricky because you don't want to play it wrong. And it's very easy to, easy to play Mage Knight wrong or forget something or skip something. Like, oh, I didn't count, you know, this movement or I didn't count this, you know, special effect and the way these two sort of attacks interact with each other or something. It's just easy to kind of skip something. And it's very frustrating. But once you kind of like can reconsume the rules to it, there's just a really a lot of fun here. And there's a lot of different scenarios and uh, heroes and stuff like that, that you can go after. And it's a good game to play anyway. Really, this to me this is a one or a two player game. I've played it up to three players. I've never played it with four. And three players was a long game. It was still fun, but you know, it was just long and right at that borderline of not really worth it. So to me, this really excels as a solo game. And it's a cool little puzzle, similar to Agricola with kind of the card deal, you know, kind of being the AI, um, managing the decks of cards, the artifacts and the spells and the abilities and the stuff that you interact with as you, you're exploring the countryside with your mage knights and trying to get to, you know, kind of the final bosses and the big cities and all that stuff. Um, that kind of acts as the AI for you. There's not really like any kind of AI driven stuff. You flip over tokens and you see what's there and you kind of have to interact with it in the way that you choose. It doesn't really like react back to you too much. Um, so I like that. It's a big heavy load. It's a lot of fun. It's a big puzzle, um, but I still recommend it. If you, especially if you're like really heavy games with lots of rules and all that stuff, that would be number 12 Mage Knight. Uh, so number 11 is another game, Underwater Cities. This is a new one uh, from the list. A couple of these are, are new. The last few have been new on the list. And I really like Underwater Cities. Um, the solo game, for me, it's pretty good with the base game. But with the expansion, that's where it really kind of takes off. Because you have some of these kind of like layers and modules and stuff that you can plug in. And the card deck is a little bit more varied and stuff like that. I think the ma the base game of Underwater Seas is fine. Um, I think eventually, if you get that, you're going to want to move on to the expansion. I don't think you need it right away. I probably would not recommend, you know, jumping in with the expansion right away because it's it's probably like a medium to heavy Euro game. Um, but 
there's, there's probably too much going on, I would say. My bet would be that there'd be too much going on with the expansion. Um, and this is one of those where you just try to hit the target point, the highest point, which by itself is not something I really enjoy in a solo game. If a solo game just has, oh, get to 50 points or 100 points, it's like, eh, I don't really like it that much. I mean, there can be certain situations where I might, um, but this one is interesting enough, again, because of the card variety, and that's where kind of Agricola gets saved a little bit, because it's also just target points. But because it has like variety and sort of adds to your replayability with Agricola and Underwater Cities, that's where it really exceeds. Now, Caverna I like as a game overall better, but for solo, it doesn't really change at all. Um, there's no other players changing things for you, right? So that's why that one would drop off the list altogether. And that's, you just played to 100 points in a Caverna. But El or, uh, almost spoiled one. <laughs> Underwater Cities um, has that. And that's what I really like. And, it, and I have really found that I have enjoyed playing some of these Euro games solo over the past couple of years. And because before that, I didn't really have the opportunity. I mean, I had the opportunity, but... I had the opportunity to play with other players. I still prefer that. And this one, I think I'd still prefer to play this with other players, but I like this solo because it just has an experience that is really, frankly, not like anything else on this list um, with that worker placement card thing. And it's one of those sort of very traditional kind of Euro types of things that still really works solo. So that's why this one's up a little bit higher on the list than I might have expected, but I do, it's just really a lot of fun. And it scratches that itch really well solo with a good amount of variety uh, that I can get playing it with other players. So this is probably like sort of equal, maybe with other players just slightly above it, but yeah. So anyway, that's number 11, Underwater Cities. Now number 10 is Cuba Libre. Uh, this is the only coin game on the series. The coin games are the counterinsurgency series. It's kind of acting as a placeholder for some others on the list. Um, this is my favorite coin game, though. So if you said, Joel, you want to play a coin game, I would say, oh, Cuba Libre. Yep, definitely. Uh, this one, again, it, this one is definitely equal with solo and with other players. Uh, I played this at all the different player counts. It just does a really cool thing that you can do solo where you could play... Um, this is, and it also speaks to the modularity. So I could play as two players, two sort of coexisting factions against two others. And you run the two others with the bots, and then these two have to both meet the victory conditions. And so you're able to still get at that sort of cooperation itch, you know, even in a solo game. I mean, you're cooperating with yourself, but thematically you're able to put these two together and kind of work them together. That's just a really unique kind of experience that you can get with some of the coin games. You can't do that with all of them, but you can do that with this one. And I really like the theme and all that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's nothing really to say. And it, this is definitely the least complicated coin game, although it's still fairly complicated. And I would recommend this one to anybody. Like if you were like wanting to get into something kind of like this, this is a whole about the whole Castro revolution, uh, you know, for communism to come back into, not back, but come into Cuba. Uh, you've got the kind of the United States involved. There's the mafia. There's the other uh, counterinsurgency faction. I'm having a brain fart on their name. Would Castro kind of backstabs and stuff. And uh, there's just a lot of cool, interesting sort of political dynamics and stuff like that, uh, which is not something you see in too many games. So anyway, that's number 10, Cuba Libre. Definitely recommend that to folks. It's complicated, but I, I do recommend folks give that kind of stuff a try. It's really cool. Uh, number nine is Eldritch Horror. 
and this is just a straight co-op. Uh, easy to play with like double fisting or triple fisting uh, the different characters. So you don't have to just play with you know one little guy running around. You can play with two or three easy enough. There's not really a lot to juggle physically and mechanically and all that stuff. So you're not juggling a bunch of stuff everywhere for the different characters. And I would recommend that probably juggling different characters. This one, the modularity of it uh, really comes forth. Is you want to get a couple expansions with it. And you don't need everything. But the base game is fine for probably like two plays, honestly. And then you're going to want a couple, maybe one of those little card pack expansions and the one big expansion. Um, and I would recommend it. I know it's, I think it's out of print, but it's still pretty available. You can find this stuff. Um, and I would recommend it. So you can you can mix and match and plug and play. There's a lot of replayability and all that kind of stuff. And it's easy to revisit. Uh, it's easy to set up. You know, it's just deck, 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 deck of cards, board, randomly pick some characters, shuffle up and go. Like it's really easy to set up and knock out. And it's it's really fun. It just kind of has that sort of swashbuckling kind of adventure. There's the Cthulhu stuff going on, um, but it's just so easily and butter, buttery to play and all that. So. This is one of those that is just, it's a co-op. I would much rather play the solo than co-op um, because again, it's, it has that storytelling uh, narrative arc to it. And that's what I appreciate about this game is it easy to kind of sit down and go on this kind of crazy adventure with these wild demons and away you go. And it's, it's, it's a good lull, you know, probably two hours or so of just escape. And so that's number nine, Eldritch Horror. Uh, Elder Shore and Cuba Libre, those were on the last list. This next one, number eight, Five Parsecs from Home, that's a new one on this list. Uh, this one is really, really interesting. Now, this is a miniatures game. It's basically a book that you get rules for, and it's very procedurally generated. Um, and it's a sci-fi kind of skirmish adventure co-op game. It's really unique. It does a lot of cool things. So if you think about how this game works, it's like everything is procedurally generated. And in a certain sense, it can kind of feel maybe through your first like two or three game sessions, like you're just kind of rolling and seeing what happens for everything. Because you kind of, you can, I mean, you can approach it a few different ways, but basically you kind of roll up your characters, roll up the planet that you start on, roll up some of the associates and contacts that you have and, you know, some of the maybe rival gangs or rival outfits that are out there, roll up the adventure, roll up the aliens, roll up the weapons. And you just kind of start to build the world though. And so after a couple of trips through these, you know, game turns, which uh, include like, you know, the skirmish fight with the miniatures and then some of pre-game and post-game stuff and item management and little sort of mini quests you can kind of roll up on. So once you kind of go through one of those big game turns, you go through a couple of them, then you've kind of fleshed out this sort of space for the characters to exist in. And once you start to go through that and play through the campaign, it's just like you're playing like a serial adventure and it's really, really neat. And there, once you kind of get through some of those mechanics that start to become second nature, uh, then it starts to really tell you a good story. You start to figure out where your choices are going to start to matter and, you know, what kind of tactical things you can do. And the actual skirmish combat side of it is a little bit sort of, I talked about it in my review, so you can go search for my review, but it's a little bit off-putting at first. But then once you kind of get into the tactics of it, it's a really smart little system for having an AI sort of react a certain way um, to 
to you know your your actions. So if you think about that, that's that's a tricky kind of thing to do because it's very open ended spatially on a board that just has terrain kind of set up and how they kind of move and react and deal with your different characters and sort of the turn order operations, the activation operations, and all that kind of stuff. That's handled very very elegantly, but also very very uh, smartly, I think, and it it lends itself to some tactics and stuff like that. So I definitely recommend it. If you got any kind of like, you know, gaggle of sci-fi miniatures and, you know, some random terrain that you can throw together, uh, five parsecs from home, that's number eight on this list, uh, definitely recommend. So number seven is Defenders of the Realm. This was on the list before. This is, in terms of like a sort of a pure co-op game, I have some other games on here that sort of counts as a co-op game. Uh, but this is like very co-op-y. Um, this is my favorite. Uh, we just played it the other day with a friend of mine, and uh, really, really cool. Really, we really had a good time with it. We lost, but it was it was it was close. Um, and this is an easy one to also again sort of juggle multiple characters, but it also works really well. Like you can play it solo, and then play you know just one character, or then play with two or three or four. And I've done all of that, and I really like it. And it's also modular in the same way that Eldritch Horror is um, because you can add in like the dragon expansion and different quest cards. There's a whole gaggle of quest cards you can get. And this one's another one that's sort of out of print, but uh, Eagle Griffin does keep it in print. And they have been kind of slowly supporting it over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, they even canceled the second edition of the game and released, decided to release some other more stuff for it. Uh, so you can find this one. And if you like like a pandemic style game or any of this, like a more traditional co-op, this is has all, actually has some stuff directly derived out of the pandemic system. Uh, the designer Richard Lanius is, you know, he's proud to admit that. And he, you know, he's, he's taken his riffs on it and he's added a lot of that, again, the adventurer kind of swashbuckling, in this case, in a fantasy world, that kind of feel to it. And it really blends all that together, that kind of real streamlined co-op feel but still retains adventure and the questing and the fantasy vibe and the cool special abilities and effects and the big scary monsters and all the different things. Um, it just blends all that so perfectly. This is one of my favorite games uh, of all time, regardless of solo. Um, and this one, I would say probably equal. With, I've preferred solo versus with other players, but this is one I'll break out anytime. So that's number seven, Defenders of the Realm. Number six, is a new one uh, on the list is Dune Imperium. This one blows me out of the water um, how good the solo game is. And I really like it with you know two, three, or four players. Even use the solo bot um, when you're playing with two players to act as a third player. And that works really well. Um, but if you're thinking of like kind of a Euro game, it's kind of a Euro game, but it's just a strategic game. If you're thinking of like a that kind of game, a competitive game, this nails the competitive side of it. And it has scaling difficulty, so you know you can play it at novice and then expert and then quizats hatterack. I beat it at all of them except for <laughs> the quiz. I can't remember what it gets. It gets some cheaty thing. It's like, oh, if you want to not win, play with quizats hatterack mode. I think you could win, but uh, I have not won it. Um, but the way that it can just somehow convey that competitive three-player game because it's like you're playing a three-player game when you're playing it solo with the either the app or you can use the deck of cards it doesn't really matter um just the fact that it can accomplish that and the game is so good anyway because i really this is my favorite game of the year last year 
Um, and, you know, when I get to do my top 50 games of all time, this is going to be really high up the list, spoiler. But um, it's just amazing. It, I, if you were to get this game just to play it solo, I would totally say that's a great idea. Totally you could do that. Because uh, you can play with different factions and there's other different like ways to... Um, play with the different sort of uh, modules and stuff like that and some of the different abilities. And then they have the, the expansion, which I haven't played with yet. I have it, but I haven't played it with. Really good. That's number 60 in Imperium. Every, everybody's talked about this game to death, but if you're going to get it just for solo, totally get it. Totally get it solo. Now, number five, which also gets compared to this game, which is weird, but they kind of have the same. So Lost Ruins of Arnak. Everybody says which game is better, which, which one they like more. Now, I would say I actually prefer Dune Imperium over Lost Ruins of Arnak. But if you're talking about just the solo game and the expansion, and I haven't played the Dune Imperium expansion yet, but the Lost Ruins of Arnak expansion takes the solo game from like an eight, I'd probably because I'd probably get like maybe a seven. I get seven, seven. Let's, let's give it a seven. Let's be fair because I would rather play Lost Ruins of Arnak with the base game with you know maybe one or two other players because I like it as a two or three player game. I give the base game a seven. Once you get the expansion the, with the leaders, right up to a ten. Right up to a ten. Just I'm just talking solo um, with the expansion. Now. It's not just with the expansion that you can get, because what I've actually done is they released a couple of print and play solo expansions, which you can get for free, you can find on their website. And you can play it like as a campaign, where you're going on this thing, and you have like this renegade uh, expedition leader who, you know, who's like another research scientist. If you think of like the old Indiana Jones movies, there's Indiana Jones and there's Belloc, which is like his French counterpart, who's sort of like the evil Indiana, Indiana Jones. So you have that kind of thing. But in this case, it's like if Belloc wears your understudy and then they turn code on you and then they ran in you, it's like a competition to try to explore and exploit uh, this sort of mystical land here. And so you're racing against time and you're playing through, uh, you know, I think it's four, four or five different uh, campaign scenarios. But then, okay, great, that's cool. Now let's take the expansion, the, the printed one, and use one of the six or seven different leaders and play through that. And so now you can play through it in multiple different ways. And you have all these cool special abilities and all these different things. So adding all that into the mix together is just really fun, really thematic. Uh, it, the competition aspect of the game comes through greatly. But again, it also has that kind of swashbuckling adventure feel, which is really good when you're playing solo instead of like, because if you're playing solo, you don't want to just be like count points and sh crap like that. You want to be like taken to the land of Oz, you know? You want to just, because for me, I'm like, you know, I do like fairly menial work. <laughs> You know, it's not too bad, but it's like, if I'm going to sit down and do a spreadsheet, I'm like, am I getting paid for this? <laughs> because if I'm not getting paid for this, I don't need this. Now, if I'm playing with other people, fine, we're going to have a good time, you know, playing with each other. But if I'm going to be alone <laughs> and you're going to ask me to do math a lot, a little math's fine. As long as it can operate here automatically with all the math I've learned for 45 years. But you better take me to the land of Oz at the same time. And that's what this does, Lost Runes of Arnak. You have all that kind of good, crunchy, competitive mechanics, but then, whoop, now we disappeared into this way crazy fantasy Indiana Jones, you know, in the land of Turok, uh, whatever, that's buried in the 
bottom of the core of the earth, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so this just hits on all those cylinders uh, when you're playing solo. That's number five, Lost Thrones of Arnak, with the expansion and some of the print and play. That shoves it right up the list. So speaking of weird, crazy adventures, brings us to number four. That's Shadows of Brimstone. That was on the previous list. Uh, this one, I would give a slight edge to playing it solo over with others. It's been a while since the group got together. We had a campaign. I think we all got up to like level six. Uh, you basically play till you get to level eight. Um, super fun. One of the best times I've had playing games with the group. Um, uh, but solo is really cool. And this is another one you can control one character if you want, two characters, three characters. It gets a little nuts when you start to juggle characters. I'd say probably you cap it at two or three, um, especially if you have some of the expansion characters because it's just a lot of items and crap and abilities and leveled up characters start to have all kinds of abilities. So it gets a little bit of a, a mind load there. Um, but you can totally play it solo. It is actually a little bit more difficult with less players. Um, and so probably you'd want to play with at least two characters. But it has a similar <laughs> a similar sort of vibe as in another game above this list where, especially when you play with less players in this case, or less characters, uh, you might get your butt kicked like the first couple of times. You're like, okay, they're dead. You know, they're dead. Um, it does handle that pretty well, so maybe they'll... You don't really die and have to start over. You might want to. But once you kind of get over a threshold, then it starts to be, you know, your characters like sort of kind of too weak. Borderline, right? But at the beginning. And then once you kind of get, you can get over that hump of that first or second sort of successful adventure, then it starts to be more even. And it feels, it's still a challenge, but, you know, it's it's not feel like it's beating your brains in. And, okay, the one thing with Shadows of Brimstone, and I've talked about it a ton on the channel, is you want uh, some expansions. Uh, you can go back, grab a base box. They have three base boxes, the City of Ancients, Swamps of Sorrow, and the Forbidden Forbidden Lands, which is like the Asian one. Uh, so you can go kind of kind of go Western or Asian or, or mix them all together, who cares? Because it's all about portals to alternate realities and there's like science fiction aliens and uh, dinosaurs and snake people and Cthulhu type monsters and you know zombies. Everything. I mean, it's like everything in there. Get one of the base sets, whatever one looks cool to you, and then like two expansions of the small box ones, or get like two of the base sets. Although I think the, if you're just getting into it, a base set plus the expansions seems the better route from what I can see, because the expansions really kind of do weird stuff with some of the monsters and stuff that you encounter. Uh, so that's a little bit better. Each of those base boxes is kind of like just to get you going. Um, so it does have that. I think that's a necessity too. I don't think just the base box will work that well. A couple of plays, sure. But you got to move on with that. And I would say throw it all right in there. <laughs> like just get that and a couple of minutes and start right there. And you might have, like you said, you might get your face kicked in, but whatever. That's part of the fun to me with Shadows of Brimstone. So that's number four. Uh, number three is Marvel Champions. I think that was on the list before. I'm sure it was. Uh, really cool. This just hits a lot of cylinders for me. I don't really get a chance to play like competitive games like Magic. Or I've got Ashes down here. I haven't played that in a long time. Several months. No. A year. Maybe over a year. And um, so that kind of game. So this gives me that kind of vibe. Like I got the, you can build your deck, you know, you can play against a really solid, cool AI system. And you can just throw all these modules at it. I can play one of like 40 different heroes against one of like 20 different villains. There's a couple of cool campaigns that I've played through. 
Um, I haven't played through the newest one, the Sinister Six one. I played through the, uh, the oh, I'm having a brain fart again. The Goblin one, and then the Thanos one. Yeah, the Goblin one wasn't, no, it wasn't the Goblin. It was, the Goblin had like kind of a, sort of a campaign, not really. You could play through different Goblin versions. The other one was the uh, Red Skull one. That's the one I played through. Um, so that's really cool. So you can take and, you know, reload different characters and play through those different scenarios and those campaigns. And there's, you know, the one kind of knock against it versus uh, Ar- um, Arkham Horror, the card game, is that has a uh, campaign where you level up and stuff in the Arkham Horror thing. There's some of that in Marvel Champions with some of the campaign books. It's like, you know, four or five scenarios and you do a little bit of leveling up. But that's not really what the game's about. And that's not really what I want. I want one where I can kind of build and tweak decks all on my own, don't have to worry about playing against other players and stuff, and just, you know, throw them at different villains and see how they work and just try to come back with a configuration that will will beat them. And there's some good little tweaks they've made over the years for the, dif- for the difficulty scaling. And I would, I would rather play this solo than uh, with players, but I would still play it with players. I think it works really good. I've played it at all the player counts up to four. Um, I, I liked it at, at all of them. Four is a little much, but... You know, if everybody knows how to play the game, it's pretty fun. Uh, so, yeah, Marvel Champions. There's not really much else to say about this game. It's a huge hit. Um, really good. It, it just ticks a lot of boxes for me in terms of that sort of card play stuff that I miss. Not really playing Magic or Versus or, you know, Ashes or any of those kind of games a lot recently. That's number three, Marvel Champion. And number two, this is a new one on the list. This is, well, kind of new. This is Warhammer Quest. Now, this is, again, like the Cuba Libre. This is sort of a placeholder for all of the Warhammer Quests, even the new ones, Silver Tower, Hammerhall, Blackstone Fortress, um, but also mainly the old one. Um, I did a review several months ago, a few months ago, towards the end of last year, I think. I'd been playing that for a few months prior to that, and... Holy cow, this game is really good. The, first, the original one, it's just... They just need to straight up reprint that sucker. And some of the expansions and stuff like that. And maybe redo the tables. Like if they want... Maybe when they redo the old world. they're gonna Because they're going to redo the old world Warhammer. Just make Warhammer Quest, guys. Just reprint it. <laughs> I mean, I have it. I'm good. I don't need it. And I've got a bunch of old minis and stuff that I use as proxies to fill out all the tables. But holy cow, just reprint it and let people have fun with it. And so they don't have to pay an arm and a leg. If you go watch my review, there's a way, yeah, to get around the cost. But um, the old one is really, really cool. And similar to Five Parsecs from Home, the procedural generation stuff really is really neat. Because once you start to kind of crank in and get over that threshold, like Shadows of Brimstone, because that first quest, uh, go watch my review for a lot of these details. But I, I played this game probably 30 times now in the last, like, say six, eight months, something like that. And I had a good streak there where I kind of got the hang of it and then I got some more minis for it and painted some stuff up and then I'm like, okay, let me restart, erase all my character sheets. And then I lost like five games in a row. Boom, 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 boom. Just dead, 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 character wipe, you know, party wipe. And then once you get cranking, you start to get some cool items and you can buy some stuff and some healing stuff and you get going and you can find some crazy equipment and stuff. And then you can start to scale up the characters. The monsters get really crazy. So this is another one, though. If you just were, if you were somehow just like release the base game as it is, you would get like five plays out of it, <laughs> and that's it. You, what you have to do with this, I think, 
is honestly you need some of the little bit of expansion stuff which I've gotten you know quote unquote and um, some extra monsters to sort of spin up and generate more stuff so like Shadows of Brimstone you need kind of a more variety of monsters because if you just get the base game I mean once your guys like level up to level 2 then you're done I mean you don't really have anything so you need this extra stuff you need the bunch of monsters to fight and different rooms to go in and all that stuff so if they redid it because you really need that extra stuff and the expansions are ridiculously overpriced i printed all my stuff out and made boards you like don't go hunt that stuff that's ridiculous because some of that stuff is just like 200 bucks for some like <laughs> three boards and stuff that way and um but you need that like to me you need that for the game um so that's uh, i say that and I say that with a little bit of a broken heart because, like I said, you can't find it. And to me, that's the best Warhammer quest. It's one of the best. I mean, obviously, it's number two on my solo game list. And this I would play solo over everything. Now, Blackstone Fortress is probably my second favorite Warhammer quest. Um, and I've played this through the campaign solo, and i played through the campaign with three players. I think I like the solo better. You know, because you always run the four characters no matter what, and it doesn't get too crazy. It gets a little crazy towards the end of the campaign because it's just like, holy cow, how many cards do I have for these guys? And what abilities can they do? Oh, yeah, that's right. A little bit of a load there. Um, but that is a really cool... That's easily the second best <laughs> Warhammer quest, and it's probably right up here. Like, if I had never played the original, Blackstone Fortress would probably be... It'd be on this list, but a little bit further down from some of these. Um, but that's a really good one. You can still find that one. It's a little bit out of print. There's still that one you can get the base game for and play it and finish it. And then like I've played through it twice and then play it again. There are expansions for it. Um, I have them all. I've only played it through the first one with the, uh, the Amble and I'm a dork, so I have them all, but I would really like to play through the rest of them. Um, they look really cool. Especially the last one looks amazing. But it's like so much, so much time in the day. I know, it's, I know, it's a little bit nerdy, but um, I recommend it. Like you could just get the base game of it. You can get it for a decent price, get it. But if somebody's trying to gouge you for it, don't. It's just a really cool system. It's just I don't know what it is. I should not like these kind of games, but the original one though is amazing. Like uh, I don't know. It's just go watch my reviews for all those other ones. They're really good. They're really good games. They get undersold design wise because whatever. But. All right, so that's number two, Warhammer Quest. Number one, it hasn't changed from the last video, is Rangers of Shadow Deep. So if you took here the elements of Warhammer Quest and some of the five parsecs from home stuff and put in like a real solid like D&D quality narrative, if that makes any sense, that's what Rangers of Shadow Deep is. Um, it's a solo or co-op, I've only played a solo, solo skirmish game. You get a little band of adventures. You get your ranger. Uh, you play through um, solid narrative stories. It's not like procedurally generated like Warhammer Quest or Five Parsecs from Home is, but there is procedurally generated stuff within that very strict narrative campaign. And that's one of the sort of design considerations of uh, Joseph McCullough who did this. And he does the other games, Frostgrave and Stargrave, which I really love those two. Um, and Ranger Shadow Deep is kind of like Frostgrave solo. Um, now, he, you can play Frostgrave and Stargrave solo, but this is designed from the bottom up to be solo. And it scratches that D&D &D itch like nothing else. 
um, and still retains like that skirmish tactical vibe. And I really cannot recommend Rangers of the Shadow Deep enough. Like if, I swear to God, like you gotta go and get the base rules for this. I don't care what you have. If you got a copy of Descent, if you have something with some miniatures or whatever, you gotta have some game with miniatures, just get this. Play through it, set up some junk for terrain. Just, just use it, like don't worry about it. It's such a good little storytelling device. It's fun. It's, it's, it just elicits story moments and it's just everything. It just immerses you unlike anything that I've, that I've played anywhere on this list or anywhere else. Um, it's really sort of a needs more. I don't know if it needs more attention, who cares, but like, I just want people to be able to go through and experience this. I played through the base campaign in the base book. It's awesome. I played through two the first two expansions i will say one of the quests in the one expansion was kind of like a one throwaway one it was only the werewolf a little bit like yeah but the rest of it was amazing i mean just amazing and it's just a great tool thing and something that you can definitely play through again because you can roll up different types of war bands with rangers focused on different types of you know abilities and stuff like the specializations and it's neat and you can even play through the same scenario again because the system is not like mystery driven. Um, they It has a cool system with a deck of cards that will sort of act, it feels like a board game in some ways, where it acts as driving the pulse and the pace of the scenarios and the outcomes and stuff will sort of move you right along kind of thing. So it'll carry you through, kind of like Arkham Horror the card game does a little bit, uh, but it'll carry you through you get to where you're going and it'll tell you the stories you go through. And it's a very unique kind of fantasy world. It's not very traditional. It's not like, you know, D&D or Warhammer. It's its own thing. And it has a cool sort of uh, mystery vibe to it. Not that there's mystery mechanics involved in sort of uncovering secrets all the time. Sometimes it's a little bit of that. But, um, but the mystery of like what's going on is nebulous enough that you can kind of plug in lots of your own sort of imagination and stuff like that. So he does a really good job of this kind of thing where he creates and peppers the world with little tools for you to start building with. And that's one of the most important things about this type of game or some of these games in general. So again, Ranger Saturday, probably bored of me talking about it, but you know what? I'm gonna keep talking about it until you buy the book. <laughs> All right, uh, that's it. That's enough. Uh, that's my top 20 sort of. Uh, solo games. So thanks.